Hello to everyone. We're thankful again for another opportunity that the Lord's provided us to study. I'm thankful for each one of you. Thankful for you taking your time to listen. Hope and pray that we can help you through the Word of God. So we've uh, <clears throat> come to chapter 21 of the book of 1 Kings, looking at the account of Elijah and Elisha. And last time we looked, uh, just basically skimmed through chapter 20, which was a chapter in reference to Ahab and Benadad, the king of Syria, and the war between the nations. We do have an unnamed prophet mentioned in this chapter, but we didn't see anything specifically referring to Elijah and Elisha. So we we hurried through that chapter um, last time, and at the end, we saw that God gave Ahab and the nation of Israel great victory twice over Benadad, the king of Syria. And in the second victory, Ahab had Benadad in his hands. He had the opportunity to rid the nation of Israel and his kingdom of a great enemy, an enemy of God and an enemy of Ahab himself. And Ahab befriended him, made a covenant with him, and let him go. And in the end, this prophet, he disguises himself, and by parable, he says, a man gave me a fella and said, you watch him and keep him, and don't let him get away. If he gets away from you, I'm going to kill you, your life for his. But if you keep him, I'll pay you. <clears throat> so it's agreed on. And the guy gets away. And he says, look, I'm, I'm in trouble. I've let this guy escape. And now my life's going to be given in place of it. And Ahab responds, as you've said, so shall it be. You've decided it yourself. And the man of God says, so have you. You had the enemy. You let him go. Now your life is going to be given in place of his life. And the Bible says, and I'm going to call attention to it again because we're going to see it again here as we look in chapter 21. The king of Israel went to his house heavy and displeased. So heavy means peevish, implacable, resentful, or sullen. So he's going home and he's he's not repentant. He's not sorry that he failed to do the Lord, but he's sold up. He's in one of those attitudes, and I'm sure we've all been there, and we know people that get there as well. You get in one of them attitudes that nothing is going to satisfy you. You're not going to be. Uh, you're not going to be kind. You're not going to get over it. You're not going to uh, forgive. You're just sold up and angry, and you don't want to talk, and you don't want to work through it. Nothing's going to make you happy, and you can't be pleased. Well, that's the way Ahab reacted to the word of God. And displeased, that word means angry or raging. So there's no repentance. There's no uh, sorryness from Ahab. He is angry and raging. And he's sold up at the message that God has given him. And by sullen, I'm saying S-U-L-L-E-N. He is sullen, resentful, 
implacable. He's in a place that he's not going to be pacified. He's not going to be pleased. He's angry at the word that God gave him. Angry that God would correct him for what he's done. And so we come to chapter 21. And this, a very familiar account, one that has been heard often and no doubt and no doubt everyone listening is probably very familiar with this. But we want to walk through this one a little more carefully. Let's look at it. Let's tear it apart. I believe there's a lot of good here that we can get out. And we do see Elijah in this chapter. So it's going to be the account of Naboth, his vineyard, and his interaction with Ahab and with Jezebel and the judgment of God that's pronounced as a result of this. So let's read maybe the first few verses. And it came to pass after these things that Nabal, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab said unto Nabal, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house. And I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or, if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And Nabal said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. So, uh, a lot could be made out of this, but uh, let's just let's look at some of the meanings here. So the word Nabal, his name, it means fruits. Hard by, the Bible says that his vineyard was hard by the palace. That's in a sense of joining aside. So that, that would imply that here's the palace. Maybe it had a wall or a, a fence around it. And attached to the fence, maybe even, is Naboth's vineyard. Maybe the fence around Naboth's vineyard is attached to the fence of the palace. They're, they're right next to each other. And so Nabal says, the Lord forbid. And that means for a profane thing, or far be it. So the Lord, Jehovah, makes this a profane thing for me to sell my inheritance. That's an heirloom, an estate, something that's inherited. So let's think just for a second now on his reply in Leviticus. Why did the Lord forbid him to sell this property? Well, if we look back in the law in Leviticus chapter 25, and we could look at a lot of verses here, but in, in verse number 23, we're going to zoom in. You could look at 14 through 28 and see this. But in verse 23, the land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. Ye are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession, ye shall grant a redemption for the land. So these pieces of property in Israel, by the commandment of God, I couldn't sell you my property and it be yours and in your family forever. They had what they called a year of jubilee. Every 50 years was a year of jubilee. And in that year, all of the property and all of the slaves 
went back. They were the slaves were freed, or the property was returned back to the original owners. So really, what you ran into was leases that you would have. So if I had a piece of property that you desired, and you know, if if we're ten years from the year of jubilee, we would prorate that and you would lease that property for me for 10 years. And at the end of 10 years, when the year of Jubilee came, it would be reverted back to me. And, you know, depending on how long, maybe if it was 40 years until the year of Jubilee, you would pay me more for that because you would get to keep that land longer. But at the year of Jubilee, the land always reverted back to the original owners, and God forbid it, that the land be sold forever. And also now, if I leased you that land for 15 years, then God says that there shall grant a redemption if a near kinsman of mine, and we saw this in the study of Ruth with Boaz redeeming Ruth and Naomi and their goods, if a near kinsman of mine wanted to buy that land back, he couldn't be turned down from that there would be a redemption granted because he is paying the price that's owed uh, upon that property or for the time that's left. He's paying that off and redeeming that land back to its original owners. And there could be a lot of digging right there. Uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of good doctrine could be seen in that picture, in that type, and in that shadow. So Ahab, most likely looking to buy this, and it become the estate of the king. Um, and God says it can't be sold forever. Now in Numbers chapter 36, that's the last chapter of Numbers, verse number 7, So shall not the inheritance of the children of Israel remove from tribe to tribe. For every one of the children of Israel shall keep himself to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter that possesseth an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be wife unto one of the family of the tribe of her father, that the children of Israel may enjoy every man the inheritance of his fathers. Neither shall the inheritance move from one tribe to another tribe, but every one of the tribes of the children of Israel shall keep himself to his own inheritance. So, God designed a plan that the land and the property would stay with the families that he originally gave it to in the very beginning uh, when they first came into Canaan's land. It couldn't be sold. It could be leased. But there could be no uh, permanent selling of property by the law of God. And that goes, you know, just just to continue the picture so we can understand the year of Jubilee as it is. If I owed you money and I said, look, I can't pay that. I'm willing to be your servant to pay that off. If there was 20 years until the year of Jubilee, I would enter in and be your servant until that year. And then I could be set free from that servitude. So the year of Jubilee was a time that, that property reverted back, that slaves were set free, 
that all of this work was done. Well, Ahab wanted to purchase the land. He wanted it to be his. He wasn't interested in leasing it. He wanted to buy it. And Naboth says, I, I can't do that. And you know, uh, I don't know that you could say he was a smart aleck about it. He just says, Ahab, I can't. The Lord forbids me to sell you the property by the law of God. And you, you put yourself back in this day, and we've uh, talked about it and well covered the evil that has went on and how that the covenant of God's been forsaken, how that the, uh, the worship of God has been outlawed, the prophets have been slain. We're in a time right now of great evil. And the vast majority of people, they've got no mind for the commandment and the law of God. But we know that there's 7,000 that did not bow the knee to Baal. And I would say we could infer from this that Naboth may very well be one of those 7,000 because he's still regarding the law of the Lord. And, you know, he's what could be and could bring the favor of the king upon him, what could be that that uh, Ahab would like him for, that he could be buddies with the king for doing, he's willing to reject that, that he might keep and honor the word of God. As uh, we hear the apostles in the book of Acts, they are forbidden by the chief priests and by the Sanhedrin you can't preach Jesus anymore. And you've went out and you've been preaching again. Now, what are you doing? You've disobeyed us and our commandment that we gave you. And this is what Peter said. This is Acts 5 and verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. When the commandment of the king, of the government, of the state of the boss, really, of anybody. When the commandment comes that is contrary to what God would command, then which do you reckon we ought to put in first place? Where should God be in the, uh, uh, in the rundown, in the, the spreadsheet? We have flow charts at work showing who reports to who. Well, how high should God be on the list? Well, Naboth says he's above King Ahab, who was the top of the list in the nation of Israel. And the apostles say, look, we can obey you or we can obey God. Now, which one's more important? Would to God that people would think about that as jobs and money and Lord have mercy. Everything comes before God today. When, when something comes up that man enjoys, that that. Uh, that is going to interfere with the service of God, whether it's uh, fun with family or it's friendships or activities or pleasure, uh, uh, jobs and money, whatever that it is, so often God is set aside that we might enjoy the things of this world. And people wonder why things are not in order. Oh, well, we've forsaken the law of God. Which is better? Which is better? That's, you know, that's a simple question. And the apostle said we ought to obey, obey God rather than men. So Naboth honestly answers and says, look, I can't give you that. That is my inheritance. 
This is that that God gave and provided my family. It's been in my family. It, it possibly and most likely has been passed down generation to generation from the time that Israel came into Canaan's land. This land has been in Nabal's family. And God had a law set and in order that it would remain in Nabal's family on and on. It couldn't be sold. But there was this warning as well. In 1 Samuel chapter number 8, now the people are going to want a king here. The nation of Israel is asking for a king. And Samuel is telling the people what having a king is going to be like. And in verse 14, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 14, Let's back up to 13. He will take your daughters to be confectionaries, to be cooks, and to be bakers. He will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. So now it looks like that the option was there that Ahab could have took this. That was in the original warning. Look, you want a king? He's going to be the authority. He's going to take what he wants, and you're not going to argue with him. Well, I, I, I would think that that's an option. Ahab is the king. God said that they would take vineyards and fields and lands and your sons and your daughters. He would pick out the best for himself. So that option would be there, but he's not exercising that option. And I, I think it's important to note that there is no sin that has took place in the first three verses. I realize the Bible says thou shalt not covet, and I believe we'll see that in just a minute. But you know, it doesn't mean that we, sh we shouldn't desire. If there was never any desire, then there would never be any buying or selling. If we didn't see the piece of property that we liked, we'd never make an offer on it. We'd never buy it. And so here he has a piece of property that's joining his house. He likes it. It's close. He'd like to have it. There's no sin in that. And he comes to Naboth and says, look, I'll pay you for it or I'll trade you. Whatever you want, you tell me and, and I'm willing to do that, that I could have it. I, I like your property. No sin whatsoever in that. And Naboth's answer, look, king, I, I'm not able to do that. The Lord has forbid me of doing that in his law. And so we have a transaction. Now, Ahab did not get what he wanted. He didn't. But the offer was made. The offer was declined. And there was no sin whatsoever in it. But herein lies the problem. Verse 4 and Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased. So the same, these are the exact same words, both in English and in the original Hebrew. From the last chapter, what we looked at at the beginning of the study, he is heavy, he's peevish, implacable, resentful, sullen, and he's displeased, he's angry. Oh, he's mad that he would be turned down doesn't matter whether God was 
in the mix or not, whether it was because Naboth respected the law of God, that didn't matter. It didn't matter that there was a valid reason that he was turned down. He didn't get what he wanted, and it angered him. He came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth, the Jezreelite, had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. Now you talk about childish. Ahab comes home. He's angry and he's sold up. He's not going to be pleased. He's not going to be pacified. He's going to go lay on his bed and I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to talk. I am so upset that this man would not sell me his property. And I think there is where we see that uh, covetousness that is a sin. There we see that it's more now than just making an offer. I'd like to have that. Now it's affecting him inwardly and it's caused him to anger and to rage and truly to despise the man Naboth. Now Naboth had given him no reason for that other than turning him down. But as he says in James chapter 4 verse 5, do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth within us lusteth to intensely crave, to envy, ill will. Now that covetousness, it's beginning to manifest. This is more than just making an offer on a piece of property and seeing if it works out. He wants this so much now that being turned down, he's angry and his lust, his desire for that property, his longing to own that has now turned into envy that he now is angry and hatred, hateful, filled with hate towards the man Naboth for neglecting his offer. So there is the sin. Sin is beginning right now, and it's beginning in the heart. Now, if it had never festered to this place, if Ahab would have said, fair enough, I agree, I see what you're saying, I hate that we couldn't come to an agreement, but I understand, after all, it's Naboth's property, then there, this, would have, this would have never been a problem. But he couldn't let go that covetousness in the heart, that longing, that desire for that property, as foolish as it sounds. And there's much more foolishness today that man covets to the place of envy, ill will, and hatred towards their fellow man. And so that festers in him. He's angry and bitter and it lusts to envy. More than just a desire, now he's hateful because he didn't get it, and he's going to pout and not eat bread. Now, you know, you're going to come home this evening. You come home tomorrow, and there's your family at home, and you're going to be peevish. You're going to saw up, be uh, unable to be pacified, 
or made happy. Nothing's going to work no matter what anybody tries to do. We're not going to accept it. We're not going to hear it. We're going to be sold up. Well, you know what that's going to bring? My wife's going to say, honey, what's wrong with you? Your husband's going to say, what's, what's wrong? What is it that's got you in this place? Well, that's exactly what's going to happen here in verse 5. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? Now, she is just playing the part of a wife here, and she says, what, What's got you tore up like this? What is it? And I'm sorry for my phone going off. She says, What is it that's got you in this place? She recognizes something's not right about Ahab. Ahab's having a little hissy fit. She says, what's the problem? Now, here's the thing now. Jezebel is the devil. Now, the devil, he wants to give the lust and the longing, the heart. And the devil has no care whatsoever for the brethren, for the fellow man, for the being of anybody else. The devil only thinks about their self. Now, the devil's come to him, his wife, why is thy spirit so sad? Now that word sad, it's the same word as the word heavy in the verse before, peevish, resentful, sullen. What is it, Ahab, that's got you so tore up? She recognizes that something's not right about Ahab. So verse six, he said unto her, because I spake unto Nabal, the Jezreelite, and said unto him, give me thy vineyard for money. Or else, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. Now, notice, when he's telling the story, it's worded a little different. Ahab didn't hear anything about God. He don't, he don't care what God says. He don't care about God's law. He regards God as his enemy, and the man of God as his enemy. So when he's retelling the story, he's like, look, I made this man a reasonable offer. He said, Ahab, I'm never going to sell it to you. Well, now that's a lie. That's deception. But that's the way the devil works in the imagination of man. This is what Ahab heard. Why, he hates me. He wants to do me evil. He don't respect me as the king. He's somebody that's out to get me. And I don't read that at all by what Naboth said. But in the imagination of the mind, the devil works taking that that was never said or never intended and in the imagination of Ahab turning that into something that is much worse. That's the way the devil works on me and you. He can take something that honest to God meant nothing at the time, but by rolling it over in the imagination and in the heart, he turns it into something that causes great anger and hatred down in the depths of our heart. So we ought to be vigilant and aware of how the devil works. Now, verse number seven. And Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread. Let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So, Jezebel, she says, look, you're the king. Are you not in authority? 
Are you not the one that rules over this entire realm of Israel? Are you not the one that makes every decision that's to be made? And you know, that's, uh, as I said earlier, Ahab had the authority, no doubt. Ahab could have said, he could have written a law, he could have written a, 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 an ordinance and said, I'm taking that property. That's now the property of the kingdom of Israel. That's the property of the king. I don't see any reason or explanation as to why he couldn't take that when God said through Samuel, he's going to take your land and your vineyards. He had that authority as the king. But Jezebel, now there's going to be a whole lot more go on than that. But Jezebel says, don't worry about this peasant. Don't worry about this nothing, Naboth. And to them, Naboth was nothing. But you know what he was? He was a man. Had family. He had sons. And we'll see that in, it may be next time before we see that. But he had sons. He was a family man. He was a person that lived a life day by day. He may not have been the king. He may not have been on their level or status as the world would look, but he was a man just like Ahab was a man. And yet, their love for self brought a hatred for a fellow man. It amazes me how that man hates and despises those that they would call with their own lips their brothers or sisters in Christ. I tell you, that's of the devil. It's not of the Lord whatsoever. She says, I'm going to get it for you. I'll do, don't even worry about it. You get up, be happy, eat. I'm going to take care of the vineyard. And I would say this. She doesn't say how, but Ahab doesn't ask how either. He's not worried about anything other than I want that vineyard. And if you can get it for me, so be it. However you need to do, you do it that I can have that vineyard. And so Satan, he will always encourage the sinner to disregard man and God, both. In John chapter number 9, we read Jesus again interacting with Pharisees and with scribes, with religious. And he says in John chapter 9, this is the blind man here, verse number 28. Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow... We know not from whence he is. So here, here is a man born blind and Jesus has given him his sight. A notable miracle. And they're investigating it here and they're talking to this blind man. And they say, look, we follow Moses because we know that God spoke to Moses. But this man, Jesus, we don't, we don't know where he's from. We don't, we don't know anything about him whatsoever, nothing. So you see the issue was not with the blind man, but it was with Jesus. Jesus was the problem. 
And the blind man is going to receive the hatred by his association with Jesus, though he hadn't done anything else. And so verse 30, the man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. So here, you talk about a simple argument. He says, look, you know that God is not going to work for a devil. God's not working for a sinner. And they would have agreed wholeheartedly, God don't hear sinners. Well, he says that. And he says, look, he's done this great miracle that's unheard of as far as history goes. We've never, ever seen a miracle like this that a man born blind has received his sight. Now, wouldn't you say, and this is what he says, if he was of God, he couldn't do this. He, he must be God's man. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. So they hated him. They didn't hate him because he had done anything wrong to them. He had received the work of the Lord Jesus and was testifying of who the Lord Jesus was. And they hated him, cast him out. We're Moses' disciples. In Luke chapter 18, and this is uh, very familiar, but you've got that story of the unjust judge. And the Bible says of that unjust judge that he feared not God, neither regarded man. So that's, that's where Satan brings the sinner to. He's not afraid of God's judgment, God's law, God's word, and he don't care what happens to his fellow man. He's only concerned about himself. You know, that's the way the devil is. The devil and the truth, politicians and everybody else, they're not concerned about people's lives being destroyed by gambling, by alcohol, by great debt, by disease and by AIDS. That They're not concerned about the effect that all these things have on their fellow man, but they support and they promote that that benefits them with no regard to its effect on man. Many a man's life has been ruined, ended, by alcohol, but you don't hear anything against it in our world today because there's money and profit to be made. You dig down in the, in the pocket of everything, that's what you'll find. People are doing that that benefits themselves with, no with no regard to God or to man. Ahab has no regard for what God said. He's got no regard for the man Naboth. The only thing he regards is himself and I want that vineyard. So their love for self, that produces the hatred for the word. Ahab loves himself, and the word is opposed to him getting what he wants. 
Therefore, he hates the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 8, so as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. They are opposed to the word of God because the word of God is opposed to them fulfilling their desires. That's precisely where we find Ahab at. Now Ahab's going to say, all right, sounds good to me. Go ahead, Jezebel. I want that. Get it for me. In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3, For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. She's speaking words that are so sweet, so flattering, exactly what the flesh wants, fulfilling our lusts and our desires. It sounds so good, but that's not the end of it. But her end is bitter as wormwood, as sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. See, Ahab wanted that vineyard. He wanted it bad. The strange woman said, you can have it. I'll get it for you. But what Ahab didn't think about, what never entered his mind, was, yeah, she's going to get it, but it's going to kill me. There's going to be an arrow, and it's going to be buried into my chest, and I'm going to die, and they're going to wash my blood out there as a result of this work. Her, her words were sweet and sounded good, and no doubt he got up there happy and glad and merry, and he's waiting to receive this property from the hand of Jezebel. But boy, the end of it, the end of it cost him dearly, as our lusts do. Let us take great care not to follow our lusts and desires. Let them turn to envy, and we disregard God and man to fulfill them. I thank you for the opportunity to teach to you today. Thank you for listening to us. Uh, hope you have a wonderful week in the Lord and do pray for us and our family. We love you.